Welcome to the PSDcast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. Now, our November print issue deals with the Internet of Things, and not coincidentally, we've been talking about the IoT a lot lately. But one aspect we haven't really discussed is the interoperability, or lack thereof, of various competing standards. The IoT is supposed to create one massive digital network, but if the various devices that make up that network can't communicate with each other because of standards that aren't compatible, then the IoT won't be truly connected and it won't reach its true potential. On today's show, we've got Jeremy Jen, who's the head of lighting solutions at Toya, and as it happens, he just wrote a blog which argues that too many standards impede smart lighting for cities. Now, Jeremy, welcome aboard. And uh, first off, can you recap the personal story from your blog? As I recall, you were interested in a smart home. Uh, what conclusion did you reach, and how did you arrive there? Sure, Jason. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so this you know story actually happened several years ago, probably five or six years ago. I was working for a, a high-end designer residential lighting uh, manufacturer. So I was in charge of product development and uh, among other things. But you know, big part of my role was to make sure that the company uh, was sustainable, make sure that they had a, a roadmap. And so you know, even five or six years ago, I was evangelizing that, you know, smart lighting was going to be the future of lighting. So um, I started going around getting as much smart home type products as I could get. I, you know, I got the smart bulbs, I got the smart thermostat, a smart garage door opener, plugs, you name it, trying to, you know, fill out how the, the, the market truly was, where the ecosystem was and, and where it was going. And, you know, at the time, I thought it was really cool. I was showing it off to my friends. I could, you know, I'd open up my phone, flip to the app, make my lights change color, sync it up to the music to change with the music. Uh, my friends thought it was cool. I thought it was cool, but my wife truly hated it. She, you know, she was like, if I can't, if I want to turn the lights, why can't I just stand up and go flip the switch? And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking, yeah, she's just not tech savvy, but... I was coming home from a late business trip one evening, and as I pulled up to the house, you know, I was already tired and uh, whipped, so I pulled into the house, you know, pulled up to the driveway, had to flip through my phone, fumble around trying to find the app for the garage door opener. Finally found it, pulled in the garage, got in and walked into the house, and everybody was in bed by this time, so it was dark, so I had to fumble around, find another app to turn on the lights, and it dawned on me that, my wife was absolutely correct. This does not make our life any easier. It's got a really nice cool factor, but other than that, it, it didn't have a whole lot of value to it. Uh, I mean, at the time, one of the cool things on the thermostat was that it would track our real-time usage uh, and, you know, keep a historical log over the month, and, you know, you can compare that. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot to it because it made such a – it was a hard user experience because, you know, five different devices, but I had five different apps. So because they couldn't communicate with each other, even though they were all using Zigbee at the time, uh, a wireless protocol, they didn't communicate with each other. They had different apps, and they even had their own hubs, so even extra hardware. And so that's when I realized that, you know, the interoperability thing has got to be key. Nobody's going to want to adopt this in mass until we overcome that. And I will say on the residential side, you know, they've, taken some pretty good steps over the last five or six years to overcome that, especially with the adoption of Alexa and Google Home. That's really kind of become the integrator of these smart home devices. 
but if we start looking at commercial lighting, that's not quite, you know, if you're in a, a warehouse, you're not going to tell Alexa to turn on the lights in aisle three. So there's still a ways to go on the commercial side, indoor and outdoor. Uh, it's come a long way indoors uh, for residential use. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that's when it dawned on me that, you know, there needs to be a single communication method. And at the time, I thought it would be, you know, a single protocol, but I realize now that there's other ways to, to accomplish that other than having a single protocol, if that makes sense. Right, right. So is it is it just a matter of, of one standard, one for lighting, one for the smart home, and all that winning out? You know, we, we've dealt with format wars in the past, mostly for hardware, but this, this would be in the this, in this standard area, or um, sure. you know, are we going to come up with a single focal point of communications or one for each area, et cetera? Yeah, so ultimately, I believe that there's not a right protocol for every application. So um, sometimes wired makes more sense. Sometimes it's wireless. Sometimes uh, even within wireless, there's different um, use cases. So if you're not, if you don't need to transmit a lot of data frequently, you know, you can get away with a different protocol than if you need to send, you know, streaming video. So I don't think that there's a single protocol or technology that ultimately will win out. I think uh, today we're starting to see more stacking of the different protocols. So on the lighting side, for instance, um, Dolly is a, a lighting standard that is big in Europe. It's just now starting to get a little bit of traction in the States. Um, so what a lot of people are doing is taking Bluetooth uh, controllers and uh, hooking it up to the light fixtures. So now you have a Bluetooth communication to the light, and then the light still communicates uh, via Dolly. Um, so I don't believe a single protocol will win out. I think the better way to do it is to – um, one option, a company I work for now, Tuya, the IoT platform company, we're ultimately protocol agnostic. So we don't care what the language is that the lights are communicating with. Uh, we can even mix and match them so that within the same um, network could be Zigbee and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Uh, but it, all the commands take place in the cloud within 10 milliseconds. Um, so that's one way to get around having to decide on a single protocol. Uh, the other way it ultimately would be had to have some sort of a protocol that's ultimately completely open to the point that there's no uh, proprietary, uh, proprietary uh, communication within that. So if you look at the traditional lighting control companies, they've always been very uh, proprietary in terms of only using their switches and only using their sensors. It wouldn't work with anybody else. But if you look at a protocol like uh, the Bluetooth mesh uh, standard that the Bluetooth specialist interest group wrote, uh, that ensures interoperability with different vendors. So whenever you have something like that where you can now start building an ecosystem that it doesn't care who the manufacturer is, uh, that's another way to accomplish it, you know, being able to, to grow this market to a point of not being able to you know, not having to worry about the proprietary or not having to worry about not communicating with each other. Right, right. Now, um, in your blog, you, you, you delve into some of the hardware that's, um, you know, useful for outdoor smart lighting. Could, could you give our, our listeners maybe like an executive overview of, of some of that, that's, that that would be useful? Sure. 
Yeah, if, if you're looking specifically at lighting, uh, the, the LED driver or power supply or ballast or you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's a critical component in terms of it, you know, it doesn't just convert, convert the power to uh, turn on and off and dim those lights. Uh, but there's now starting to be a lot more functionality within those in terms of collecting temperature data, collecting uh, real-time energy usage, uh, being able to control sensors off of that. Uh, so making this driver, instead of it being a, a monofunctional device now, this becomes truly multifunctional. Uh, that's first and foremost critical. Uh, the communication, obviously, is important. Uh, but ultimately, I think that the, in order to really gain critical mass, it, it, it's going to start with the sensor. And I'm not – on lighting, you know, we have multi-sensors in terms of it uh, detects occupancy. You know, anytime it, anytime it detects motion, it sends a signal to turn on the light. Uh, also, more and more common to have a, a daylight harvesting sensor that it measures how much light is coming into the room and it'll dim, the, dim or brighten the lights accordingly to maintain uh, even illumination throughout the day. But ultimately, those sensors need to become even much more multifunctional in that in terms of you know, making an environmental sensor and collecting CO2 data or uh, noise detection to calculate gunshot, you know, different things like that, making it truly multifunctional. And then at that point, you're starting to collect a lot of data that people I don't think are quite realizing yet, especially even if you go look at something as simple as the, the occupancy. Anytime it, the sensor detects motion, uh, now don't just turn on the light, but collect that data. Collect when it happens and how often it happens, and then you can start building kind of a, uh, a map showing, whenever, showing places that are getting more tra uh, traffic than others. So, uh, now you can, in a commercial indoor environment, you can start doing, uh, um, when we start tracking where the people are throughout the day, you can see if you're utilizing your space properly. Is that a conference room getting utilized as you expect it to be? Is you know, too many people hanging out at the uh, coffee pot too often? Uh, or if you look at the outdoor side, you know, collect that type of data for the uh, sensors in terms of the heat mapping, look where people are at. Now you can start, if you're at a car dealership, let's say you could start tracking where there's the most traffic and start putting your, you know, the car you want to push the most. Today's hot car, put it over there. Uh, it gives you access to figure out where you need security. Uh, you know, just different, I could go on and on about different use cases like that. But uh, that sensor is going to be the critical piece to collect that data. And then what you do with that data is ultimately... Uh, going to create the smart building or smart city. Mm -hmm. Now, um, before I let you go, in, in your blog you also mention um, you, you give a story of a, of a smart street lighting done right. Could, could you briefly recap this for our audience? Sure, sure. Yeah, this was a, an island in uh, Holland called Teschel. They, they had an issue with – well, first of all, they wanted to make their, the entire island – energy neutral by 2020. Um, first thing that they looked at was the street lights. The, they, had, they were burning so much energy in street lights. They were overlit in some areas, but underlit in other areas. So there was an uneven uh, 
light was uneven throughout the island, so it was so difficult for, you know, it wasn't a good environment. Um, so ultimately, they, they wanted to reduce the energy consumption. They wanted to reduce the light pollution. They wanted, you know, they wanted the residents to be able to see the stars. Um, and they wanted this to be the first step to creating a, a true smart, build, a smart city or smart island, uh, so be it. Um, so they actually went through and removed all of their street lights, all of their existing street lights, uh, put in new ones, more evenly spaced and in the right places. And they used a, a company called Twilight, a Dutch company, on the control side, on the management side. Uh, and by doing that, and they added sensors in each one. So now they made, they called it a light on demand. So they would, at, at nighttime, based on the uh, schedules, they would have the lights automatically reduced to, let's say, 50%. But then if there was motion detected several streetlights down, it would start brightening up the, sh the lights as you would go along. So you would never see darkness. You know, human, humans don't like darkness. We're afraid of dark. So you'd always have some light, but it would get brighter as you got within a certain environment. Um, by doing this, by adding these sensors, by uh, completely replacing the lights from traditional lights to LED lights, uh, they saved 60% energy savings, and their entire streetlight grid is now uh, powered by uh, solar power. So they're the first 100% energy neutral street lighting project in Europe uh, because of this. But everything they did was an amazing, amazing project. And it set them up to be kind of future-proof so they can start continuing to add different features to these sensors and to the lights. Hmm. Very cool. Thanks for all the great information, Jeremy. Uh, on behalf of PSD, I want to thank you for your time. And to our audience, thanks for tuning